that Jesus the Christ who um, who made the world and everything in it was consistently rejected throughout his life. He there was no room for him in the inn when he was born. From the, his very first days, people were out to kill him. Herod tried to have him exterminated at the, at his, in his earliest days. And throughout his life, throughout his teaching, attempts were made at his life, but he would say, yeah, it was not my hour. In the Gospel of John, he speaks of, my hour has not yet come. That the reason why these attempts on his life were not successful is because his hour had not yet come. His final, his finest hour, his hour, the hour of his death, his finest moment had not yet come. He says that no one takes my life from me, but I willingly lay it down of my own choosing. No one takes my life from me. I have come to lay it down. And so here... In this season of Lent, his hour has come. A kangaroo court has condemned him. A cross has been secured. And the Lord of glory, the maker of all things, has been nailed to it. And so in these moments, as he opens his mouth, what does he cry for? Is there a cry for pity? Is there a cry of curse? Cursing? Is there a cry for vengeance? Father, get him back. Kill him. No, it's a cry, a cry of forgiveness. Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. His first word from the cross is a word of forgiveness. His first word from the cross is a word of prayer. So I want to reflect on these, these, uh, these words. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing, with three thoughts. I want us to see in Jesus persistence in prayer. I want us to see integrity of instruction and the foundation for forgiveness. I put on my inner mat unra and alliterated today. First of all, persistence in prayer. Persistence in prayer. Jesus' public ministry began with prayer. At his baptism, it says, as he was praying, the Holy Spirit came down. A voice from God, like in the form of a dove, and the the Father spoke, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Throughout his ministry, Jesus routinely would go alone to secret places and pray, often all night long. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And we see here that right to the very end, he's persistent in being a man of prayer. I find it compelling that Jesus was no longer able to reach out and, and, and touch And heal people with his hands because they were nailed to the cross. His feet were no longer able to take him from town to town to preach the good news of the kingdom because they were fastened to the tree. He's no longer able to teach his disciples because they've abandoned him. And so when he can do nothing else, he still prays. 
And I find it instructive for us because as followers of Jesus, the ministry of prayer is often the last ministry that we can still engage in in this life. Especially as we age and as, or as we become sick, we're no longer able to do many of the things that we used to be able to do with our hands, with our feet, with our teaching. But we can still pray to the very end. And if that's you, maybe to our seniors, maybe you're watching at Pleasant Manor, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're not able to, maybe your feet even aren't able to get you in the room today. Maybe you are here and you're feeling the effects of age and you're like, I I'm just no longer able to do everything I used to be able to do. Can I encourage you today that you still have a ministry? You can still pray. And prayer is not some second class ministry. It is not only the foundation for all the other more important ministries. Prayer is the ministry. Prayer gets things done. Prayer is the ministry. You are called to a ministry of prayer. And you can persist like Jesus in a ministry of prayer. And I would say this to those who are still young. Develop this ministry while you are young. So that when you are old, you are seasoned in prayer. And not a beginner. And not a novice. Like Jesus, let us be a people devoted to private and corporate prayer. Do you want an opportunity to practice and learn? Next Sunday, 6.30 p.m., we have a prayer summit right here. You've already heard about it. Maybe you're nervous about praying in front of other people. I can promise you there's no pressure to do that. But you will also have the opportunity to be with other people who are more experienced maybe than you. And you can listen and agree and learn and grow and develop the ministry of prayer that Jesus calls his disciples to. You see, prayer is powerful and effective. Jesus' prayer was answered. Jesus prays, Father, he prays to his Father, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus' prayer was answered in the moment. Because just hours later, the centurion in charge of the, of the, uh, of all of the soldiers who, na- who physically nailed Jesus to the cross, who whipped him, who mocked him and scoffed at him, who lifted him up, who were responsible for his death, that very centurion confessed faith in Jesus as the Christ just hours later. And if you turn to Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 3, we have this great picture as the church is being born. We're learning much from uh, the, the book of Acts. And uh, we see in Acts chapter 3, Peter uh, heals a, a man who's been uh, a lame man, who's been a beggar at the temple gates for, for many years. And beginning of verse 13, Peter begins to then address the crowd. And he says, fellow, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. Who did it? You did it. 
though he had decided, Pilate had decided to release him. You deny the holy and righteous one and ask to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, this lame man who is now healed, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of you all. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance. They do not know what they're doing. I know you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. And guess what? That day, 2,000 added to the church. Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them because they're acting in ignorance, was answered some 40 couple days later, 43, 45 days later. Prayer is effective and powerful. Prayer is the ministry. No one is beyond the reach of God. No one is beyond the reach of prayer. Some of you have kids and they're grown and you feel like I can't talk to my kids about Jesus anymore. But guess what? You can talk to Jesus about your kids. And no one is beyond the reach of prayer. Do I get an amen? No one is beyond God's reach. No one is beyond the reach of prayer. And so if you can't talk to your kids about Jesus, talk to Jesus about your kids. And do not lose hope. Do not lose hope. So renounce fatalism. Renounce fatalism, this notion that what will be, will be. No. We come against that in the name of Jesus and pray with power in Jesus' name because we believe that prayer is powerful and effective and that what will be will not necessarily be, that prayer changes things. So we renounce fatalism and we renounce complacency that I don't care enough to sacrifice. I don't care enough to give of my time. I don't care enough to get on my face before God. My comfort is more important to me than prayer. My plans are more important to me than what God wants to do through us in making Jesus known and bringing the forgiveness that's available in Jesus' name to the nations and seeing God work in power by His Spirit. So let's renounce fatalism, let's renounce complacency, and let's be a people devoted to private and corporate prayer because prayer is powerful and effective. And God answers prayer. He hears us when we call to Him. Someone, yeah. Here's the truth. If you are a follower in Jesus, follower of Jesus, if you've been forgiven of your sins, here's what I know is true of you. Someone prayed for you. Someone did. So who are you going to pray for? Know who else prayed for you? Jesus. You're in this prayer too. It was our sins that held him there. All right, so we have persistence in prayer, right to the very end. And it wasn't, he didn't begin praying when he was old. He began praying when he was young, and he developed that gift. He developed that ministry. So let's do it. Secondly, we have integrity of instruction. Integrity 
of instruction. We've been, I've been teaching this foundations class and we've been reading about the, how did Jesus relate to the Bible? And one of the big ideas about how Jesus understood the scripture is that, especially the Old Testament scripture, is he did not come to destroy it. He did not come to abolish it. He didn't come to do away with the scripture. He came to fulfill it. He says, think not in the Sermon on the Mount. Think not that I've come to do away with the law. And the prophets, don't think that I've come to abolish it, to tear it down. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Jesus here is fulfilling the prophecy about what the Messiah would be like. So I want us to see that. And then I want to see how he's, so he's, 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 he's showing integrity to his instruction that he has come, his teaching that he has come to fulfill the prophecies of Messiah. So let's turn the great, one of the greatest prophecies of Messiah is Isaiah chapter 53. This prophecy that Isaiah gives of the suffering servant. We're going to turn there. I'm going to read a bunch of verses from there because Jesus is fulfilling it in these moments on the cross, but then especially in this prayer. Isaiah chapter 53. A little more than halfway through your Bible is the book of Isaiah. It's a long book. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains But we, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquities of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shears, he didn't open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death, speaking of his burial, because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He'll prolong his days. He'll rise again. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he'll see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and will carry their iniquities. That's another word for their sin. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he'll receive the mightiest spoil, because he was willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many, and then, catch this, and interceded for the rebels. He prayed for the rebels. He interceded for the rebels. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so we see integrity of instruction, but I want to see that he's practicing what he preaches, too. Should have wrote that. That that alliterates too really well. Um, He practices his own teaching. Turn to Matthew chapter five. So if you were in Luke, that's just one one book to the two books to the left. Matthew chapter five in the great Sermon on the Mount, this great manifesto of the kingdom of God. Jesus says this. He says, "You uh, verse forty three says you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies." Pray 
for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, on the Sermon on the Mount, that can sound great, right? It sounds great in theory. But when someone's nailed your hands to a cross, someone's nailed your feet to the cross and lifted you up and is mocking you and scorning you, taunting you, pray for those who persecute you. It's a whole other thing when the rubber hits the road, and yet we see this incredible integrity of Jesus, that he practices what he preaches. There is great integrity in his instruction. What's the attitude to those who wrong us? Luke 17, Jesus teaches this. Luke 17, verse 3 and 4. It says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Ready to forgive. Be ready to forgive. How are you to be ready to forgive when they repent? Because you've prayed for them. Because you've prayed for them. Colossians 3.13 says, As the Lord has forgiven you, you must forgive one another. Ephesians 4.32 says, Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. How does forgiveness of those who've wronged us begin? It begins with praying for them. It's hard to harbor bitterness towards someone for whom you are praying. Let me say that again. It is hard to harbor bitterness against someone for whose forgiveness you're praying. We see this in the life of Jesus. Lived out for us. As he prays for those who are crucifying him. For their forgiveness. And then we see lastly the foundation of forgiveness. We see that forgiveness of sins is of first importance. Forgiveness of sins is of first importance. You see we have a relational barrier between us and God. And much sin is done in ignorance. They do not know what they're doing. See, those who are alienated from God, the the New Testament calls them spiritually dead. Dead in their sin. Blind. They don't have senses spiritually. So many around us don't know who it is that they're rejecting. They don't know that it's the Lord of glory. They don't know the goodness of God. They don't know that God is kind and compassionate. They don't know that God is a father, slow to anger and rich in love. They don't know that. They're ignorant of him. They think he's a vindictive judge out to get them. They don't know that Jesus prays for those who are torturing him. They think he's irrelevant. They think he doesn't matter. They think maybe he doesn't exist. They don't know that he's risen from the dead. And alive right now and ready and able to show love that is beyond belief. So many around us are walking in ignorance and need forgiveness of sins. 
I notice an inter- it's interesting, too, that throughout Jesus' ministry on earth, maybe you, you remember this, there was a, a, a man who was brought to Jesus on, by his friends on a stretcher, and he was la- laid down through the roof in the house right at Jesus' feet. And, and Jesus, it, it, the, the meaning there is that they want Jesus to heal this man so that he can walk again. And Jesus says, uh, uh, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders who were in the, in the room said, only God can forgive sin. Who does this guy think he is? And they rightly said that. Who, you know, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, well, what's, what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But he says, so that you can know that the Son of Man himself has power on earth to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. And he gets up and walks. So Jesus doesn't pray for this guy's forgiveness. He declares it. You're forgiven. There was another time where Jesus was at a a dinner party and a a woman who is known as a sinful woman comes in and anoints his feet with with oil and is wiping his feet with her hair and this beautiful act of worship and surrender and love and intimacy. and, And Jesus says to her, woman, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't pray for her forgiveness. He declares it. So why does Jesus in this moment not pray Why does he not declare the forgiveness of those who are crucifying him? Why not now? Why not say your sins are forgiven? It's because the words of the Pharisees there are true. Only God can forgive sins. And as our substitute dying for our sins, Jesus in this moment is not in the place of authority to forgive because he's bearing those very sins on the cross. And so he is not exercising his divine prerogative to come down and save himself. Like those guys mocking said, if you're really God, come down and save yourself. If you're really the Savior, come down and save yourself. And the irony there, of course, is that if he did come down, which he could have, he wouldn't have saved them. If he saved himself, he couldn't save them. And so he's bearing our sins. He's bearing our sins. And so we see here the foundation of forgiveness, that you and I can have all of our sins forgiven forever. You can be forever forgiven for all. For everything you failed to do and everything that you have done. And when we are forever forgiven for all, it frees us up to be like Jesus. It's like the uh, the deacon Stephen when he was being stoned to death. You remember what he prayed? We talked about that in the fall. Acts 7, verse 60, he says, Don't hold this sin against them. As they chuck rocks at his head to kill him. The reason you and I, the reason anyone can be forgiven is because Jesus died for our sins. And the reason that we can be free to forgive others, just like God in Christ forgave us, is because we're forgiven. And so this season of Lent, who will you pray for? In a moment, we're going to watch a video that sets the words of Jesus, all seven of the words of Jesus, on the cross to a song. Sung by Andrew Peterson. And while this video plays, and while this song goes out, while the words of Jesus are repeated over and over and over again, I want you to reflect 
on God's forgiveness of you through Jesus. And I want you to ask the question, who can I pray for this season of Lent? Maybe it's someone who's wronged you. Maybe it's someone someone has wronged you and you are tempted to harbor feelings of bitterness towards. Can you pray for them? Maybe it's someone who's ignorant of Jesus. Maybe it's that son or that daughter of yours. Maybe it's someone who's rejected Jesus. Someone who needs forgiveness of sin. Who will you pray for this season of Lent? Who will you sacrifice for? Who will you bring to the presence of God and say, Father, would you forgive them? So before we head to connection time, this video will play. I'll come back up in a a moment and dismiss us for connection time. Here we go. Maybe it's someone who's rejected. Who will you sacrifice for? So before we head to connection time. Maybe it's someone who's...